Welcome everyone to Milky Podcast, the podcast that tugs the teeth of popular culture until it explodes all over your face. As always, I'm David Davis. And... I'm the king of rock, the instant higher, sucker MCs, to call me sire, to burn my kingdom, you must choose fire, I won't stop rocking till I retire. Now we rock the party, it's correct, all cut the on time, and rhyme connect, got the right to vote, and we'll elect, and other rappers can't stand us, but give us respect. Yeah, boy, it's Boulamont. And here we are, it's episode 32, which is going to be a little bit of a strange episode, I think. We've got a little bit of geek culture coming up, and then we are going to have the best of the Milk It podcast, because happy anniversary! We've got a year, kids. Can you imagine? We've gone a year. Uh, last year, uh, last year, last episode was our uh, our birthday episode. However, we've now clocked it up, and we have gone a whole year since our first episode went live on iTunes. So we are celebrating by having a little bit of a chit-chat, and then... Uh, going into our best of bully that's right mate it's been an annual of good geek chat mm. and i and uh, i can't wait to get it underway ladies and gentlemen happy birthday it's the milk podcast i've got the As always, as we say, it's episode 32, and we start off with some geek news. Geek news. Right, so it's a little bit of a, a quick uh, sneaky peeky around the week of geeky, Mr. Booley. Uh, what has been going on in the week of geek, sir? Not a great deal, Mr. David. In all no, it's been, a, it's been a bit of a slow one, hasn't it? <laughs> I mean, the only major items coming out of the last week or so is the return of the Time Lord, of course, Doctor mm. Who. Did you Very did you have good. a chance? Did you check it out? I did. I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. And, uh, well, I say thoroughly enjoyed it. It was better on a second viewing. I, I watched it again yesterday, and both episodes of the new uh, Peter Cavaldi Doctor Who so good yeah very good I would urge anyone to give them uh, a second view because they are they're, they're not what you expect He's, they've gone a bit darker with it um, but overall very cool now I'll be I'm, do you know what Peter Capaldi will mm. actually get me to watch the new Doctor Who because I'm going to watch the first episode a bit later um, yeah lit- what kind of person am I? When someone said, oh, no, boo, you'll like it, it's a lot darker, I was like, oh, in which case, I'm all in. Is that what it takes? <laughs> no, but you are expecting him to, at some point, to say, fuckity bye, but he doesn't. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those moments where you just... He is... You fucking clown shoe! <laughs> yes, we, we've we discussed Peter Capaldi many times on the Milky Podcast, but uh, no, very good. Definitely worth watching, sir. I, no, I, I look forward to it and then maybe finally I'll uh, go from Doctor Who gives a shit to Doctor Who fan there um, you go kids boom 
had to get it in there. Talking of returns um, of TV, Mr. David, mm. the biggest news for me this week. Oh, I'm oh so excited. Um, um, a lot of guys may remember in the 90s, there was a little known animated show called The Tick. Mm. And in the late 2000s, um, my mm. man Patrick Warburton, uh, who you may recognize as Joe from Family Guy. Uh, he was in Rules of Engagement. And of course, mm. most importantly to Mr. Booley, he plays Brock Sampson on the Venture Brothers. So uh, one of my favorite characters of all time. However, he played the tick in a live action series that only lasted, I think it was like nine episodes of a single mm. season. And it was brilliant. Well, the great news this week is that it's being revived and remade with the original cast. How awesome is that? It really deserved to go on longer than one season, and um, and now it now it will do. So I can't wait. I'm very very excited about that. That was the was it on Amazon or Netflix or something that they they started showing it, and I think it's is it Amazon have funded the the next series now. Believe so. Yeah, that sounds very cool. I must admit, the the Tick. I remember watching the animated series of the Tick, and it being very very cool. Um, so I'm yeah. Very much looking forward to seeing that. Definitely. Spoon! Mm, I don't get it. Spoon! Look, I'm just a sidekick. Really, it's really weird, just, just on a quick tangent. Um, mm. some, you know that uh, online you get a lot of fan theories and a lot of them make a lot of sense. Yes. Um, one fan theory about the tick is that it's all in the mind of a bedridden child um, because all of these bad guys are kind of like really crappy, but they could be things that you find around you. So someone had written it as if it was in the imagination of a bedridden child. So the tick is the superhero. And then you've got like, you've got a gangster called Chairface, who is a man with a chair for a face. Face, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, and and there's, um, there's like a sunflower dude and it's kind of things you would see around you. So, uh, just one of those interesting fan theories, um, mm. but I, I would love to see uh, what they do with the with the, with the live action tick. I mean, it's it's been off the air for about six or seven years. Mm. I'd be really really interested because before what they did was because um, the budget was um, a bit lower than expected. All the money went on like the suits and the costumes, and then it would yeah you would see like the aftermath of the battle, like they're sitting in a bar talking about it as opposed to the battle itself. Yeah. So maybe now we're going to see like a fully realized kind of series as opposed to just kind of like a sitcom but I, I'm, I, I digress really excited that Patrick War- Warburton and the team are back for the Tick live action TV series no definitely I, that, that was one of the uh, sort of geeky moments that uh, poked out and I, it made me think of you because I remember you uh, waxing lyrical about the Tick in uh, the podcast I'm glad when something's poking out Dave you think of me <laughs> <laughs> of course sir <laughs> El Natural um yeah, the, the other thing that I saw today that made me think of you, in fact, uh, while well, we're on that subject... Was it a shit on the pavement? <laughs> no, almost. It was um, <laughs> the announcement that it looks like Beyond Two Souls is coming to PlayStation 4, sir. What? You mean they're actually just going to bring a, a game from the old generation <laughs> and put it... I love it. Uh, that's uh, that is I've, sarcasm at its highest level. I have spent my week playing Metro... Um, which I never played on 360. It was a THQ game, which has since been bought out by Deep Silver. Um, (laughs) I have spent my time playing it on the Xbox One because there are no Xbox One games that I can play because everything is being delayed until next year, which hints that they might have released the fucking stuff too early. Um, 
But yeah, but they've now announced that it looks like the PS4 is going to get Beyond Two Souls, a, a game that we wax lyrical about uh, many, many times on PS3, and you had a close personal showbiz friend type uh, relationship. relationship with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, um, the, the game was brilliant, and um, uh, even then I was impressed with the graphics, no, um, yeah. the, the capacity for the graphics on the PS3. Um, it will find a natural home on the PS4. I can't imagine they'll do much different. Um, if you haven't played it, it's definitely worth a playthrough. Um, it's a real experience. It's like an interactive movie um, made by the same people as Heavy Rain. Um, and I, again, just a really great experience. I, I'm sure if you're a, a long-time listener of the show, you'll know that I did a bit of work on the game uh, as a beta tester, sorry, an alpha tester. It is just uh, it's an experience, and it's definitely something that everyone should try at least once. And that definitely bridges the gap between movie and game. Uh, and yeah, if it's coming out on PS4 and you guys haven't played it yet, get, go get yours. At, at the moment, the, the, the sort of the games that I've played that have been transferred, like uh, Tomb Raider and, like I say, Metro this week, it it's little more than a shining up of the original game and the textures looking a little bit sharper. Um, Metro, to be fair. Is not a bad game. I'm really enjoying it, but it suffers from having that Lucas effect. And th- th- what I mean by that is, if you watch the first and second Star Wars films of the remakes, um, they suffer from being too sharp. There's that little bit of like the textures are so perfect that you can see where the edges are and it doesn't look quite as good as it should look. And, and that's you're just crying out for a filter over it to kind of dot it out but yeah it's it's a small thing to complain about but uh, so far so good uh, metro really enjoying it on the uh, the next gen consoles um while we're on games um mm. and i i know you're not strictly a nintendo guy but just something i've got to get off my chest uh, this week saw the release of the first bit of dlc for mario kart 8 mm. um i'm a nintendo guy i have mario kart i downloaded the dlc the DLC is a group of Mercedes cars. I saw this blatant product placement. I, I was very shocked. It looked kind of out of place on a Nintendo console. Thank you, sir. It is the most like obscure thing mm. to release for a Nintendo game. Um, it's it's so out of place in the magical world of Nintendo. It really does. It is. It's like it lessens the magic, I think. Um, and I just, I, as much as I love Mario Kart 8 and I'm really enjoying it, um, this DLC did seem a little bit desperate, and then um, it, it is really weird to see Mario driving a real, a real world car, and it does kind of take you out of that fantasy world of Mario Kart. As uh, as I said, I love Mario Kart. I couldn't highly, I couldn't recommend it highly enough, and it is easily the reason I bought my Wii U. I really enjoy it, but yeah, the DLC was a bit weird, and I just I just had to get that off my chest because it is weird especially if you can drive in first person view so it's just like driving around a Mario track in a real world car and that's never meant to be the object of a Mario Kart game I, I just I just thought I'd get that they have actually announced um, two DLC packs coming in the future where uh, you can play as Link and mm. uh, Tanuki Mario and a plethora of others and um, you get bonus DLC if you order both I think it's about 12 quid for both uh, in, in over here in the UK so, um, yeah, I, I, again, love Mario Kart, but I'm not so sure about the Mercedes DLC. Well, that seems like a good moment to pause and get some more games news from our resident games geek, Jay, who is providing us with this week's games news. Fables? 
Games News is here for you. Like that creepy guy who pulls at funerals. So sit down, pull down your trousers and relax. Night Trap. In a move that will excite absolutely no one except for right-wing American media types, grainy mega-CD schlock king Night Trap is making a comeback. Yes, Night Trap. The game nobody played and a system nobody owned, but somehow everyone had an opinion on in the early 90s is being dusted off by a gaggle of its hackish creators for a Kickstarter project. They are looking for $330,000 to put this thing together, and I can't believe for a minute that this game has that many fans. As a rare as Hen's Teeth former Mega CD owner, let me tell you this, you didn't miss much. It was about as interactive as a pebble that had been glued to a wall. Steer clear of it, unless they do something wonderful. Fan Petition creates Robin Williams in World of Warcraft. Fans have besieged Blizzard's Twitter board with demands to include late comedy legend and avid World of Warcraft player Robin Williams as a non-player character in the nerdy MMORPG world of Azeroth. And you know what? They tweeted back and said that they would be doing something to commemorate the memory of the former Mork and Mindy actor. So, expect to see a particularly hairy patron cracking jokes about coke addiction in a rickety Azareth tavern soon. And believe it or not, there's another petition to get Robin Williams into a, another computer game. Fans have signed onto petition website change.org in order to get Nintendo to incorporate a reference to Robin Williams in the next Wii U Zelda game. Coming out next year, kids, only on the Wii U. Dear Robin was a one of us, it seems, as not only did he play World of Warcraft, but he was a huge Legend of Zelda fan. I would say he's probably a bigger geek than any of us, in fact, as I bet you haven't named any of your children after Pro Evolution Soccer 6 or Wrath of the Black Manta or Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, have you? No, but there is a Zelda Williams walking around in this world, and yes, she's indeed named after Nintendo's second most damsel in distress. Nintendo responded saying they wouldn't reveal anything about the next Zelda game, but Robin was indeed close to their heart. But I would speculate it's probably more unlikely than his appearance in World of Warcraft at this moment. There may be a little reference in there, but if it's there, I suspect it will be quite subtle. Pokemon is headed to your iPad, if you own an iPad. Holy moly, Nintendo are putting a flagship franchise on a mobile device. Get ye teethers, you liar. No, well, it is, sort of. It's not a traditional RPG, and Nintendo aren't putting it themselves. It's the Pokemon uh, International Corporation. But that's because Nintendo don't want to give us what you want. Because, screw that, that's the business model of a buffoon. So what it is, is it's going to be a game based on the trading card uh, game that caused many a scuffle in playgrounds at the turn of the century. I should know, I was there until the police told me to move on. So there's that then. Rise of the Tomb Raider has gone to the green side. Previous multi-format athletic grave robber Lara Croft has stopped spreading herself about like a common hoe bag and committed herself to one boy. Yes, she's decided that one is the one. The Xbox one, that is. 
At Gamecom conference in Germany, Tomb Raider was declared a Microsoft exclusive. So, Lara has moved all her stuff into Microsoft's flat and is currently picking out new curtains. So that's that, is it? Is Sony at home listening to Sinead O'Connor eating ice cream out of a tub and sobbing? Is it looking at pictures of Nathan Drake and going, well, he's better for us anyway? No, no, no. It seems that Lara can't change her spots and she will indeed be back. Oh yes, she'll be back. She will indeed, as details seeped out that she may well indeed turn back to her levacious ways sooner rather than later. As it turns out, the, the Tomb Raider exclusive is merely a timed exclusive. What a dirty girl. And that's the game news then. I know. Bye. Hello, Milksters. Your old pal and friend of the show, Mossman here, off of 80's classic cartoon, Masters of the Universe. As you can imagine, I've had a lot of time on my hands since that cartoon finished, and I've been aching to hear some quality, geeky podcast that rounds up all the news in a nice, tight package. Only thing is, we don't have iPhones. Oh, not after old King Randolph fell out with Steve Jobs back in 92. Well, imagine my delight that now the Milk and Get podcast is available on Stitcher for Android users like myself. Stitcher.com has all the information. Oh, I can't wait to tell Fisto he'll be well made up. Ancient evil that feeds on the sick and demented, which once haunted videos that were rented, are back to turn the blood to ice of all of those who own a personal digital device. On VHS, DVD and Blu-ray too, in your pants it may make you Therefore, celebrate and rejoice Peppers and Lamont as they tell tales of films you should and should not want. The Totally Insane Tape Show is something you should not fear. Listen to it with some food snacks and a beer. To find it, go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud and TuneIn Radio. No excuses to these sites. You must go. And to find out whence the evil comes from, go online and look at totallyinsanetapepro.com. <laughs> Join Josh Armour and Todd Eastman every Friday for Wrestle Radio Australia, covering WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor, and Australian Pro Wrestling. Exclusive interviews including Buddy Murphy, Adam Pearce, TV legend Rose McManus, and many others. Download for free on iTunes or Stitcher, and stream us on the TuneIn Radio app. It's Australia's wrestling broadcast. It's Wrestle Radio Australia.
Bloody hell, come on, boo. Supposed to be recording like a half hour ago. Stood around like some sort of fucking lemon waiting for him. I've got my notes. I've actually prepared this week. I'm not having to rely on him. Let's have a look out the window. Is it around? I can see this now. Oh, here he is. Oh, hang on. Yep, here he is. Coming up the stairs. Do, 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 do. Oh, 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 Booley. Where did you get that yes. T-shirt, you... You sexy pig! I've never found you so attractive! Dave, I've never felt more attractive than while wearing this t-shirt. It says, Got Milking It? That's right, Milking It merch is now available. You can have Boulamont and Dave Davis across your chest 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and it's all available via a link on the milkingitpodcast.com. Milkingitpodcast.com, I also hear they sell mugs, so I can have your hot liquid tipped into my mouth! Whenever you want. <laughs> Stand aside, boo. Let me do that keyboard. I'm going to do some shopping. He's going to take you back to the past to play the shitty games of sarcasm. It's not just the AVGN that we're going to be talking about with our friend Jay. It's a plethora of YouTube celebrities. So, Jables, hit us. We here at the Milking It podcast are brilliant. No, we are, all of us. My trumpet is in easy reach of my lips and I'm going to give it a good goddamn blow, sir. Our current affairs, games and nerd news show is always released on time on every, um, uh, ish, uh, Monday, Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday, sometimes Thursday, a a day of the week, Uh, most weeks. Um, yeah. Um, none of us ever make any mistakes either. Uh, well, like, can you remember a single one from this episode so far? Nah, see? Exactly. Ignore the other ones. See? We're mother-loving pros. But we have to admit, we are pretty ugly, which is why we do a podcast as opposed to having a video channel on YouTube. Now, obviously, that doesn't stop most YouTubers, aside from those girls who like to make points on serious issues such as feminism or are wearing their low-cut tops to make sure their cleavages are in the thumbnail pictures because, you know what, tits equal hits. So I'm going to cover for you today a fair few of my favourite YouTubers because you shouldn't stay loyal to us. You should also look around. Keep giving us your loving, but also see what you can find elsewhere we're not monogamous despite what people tell you pat the nezpunk pat is a doe-eyed easy-going chap with an extensive video game collection his videos are refreshingly non-cynical expertly written and brilliantly acted by pat who is ably supported by a homicidal rob the robot which was one of those nez toys a pair of donkey kong figures and a middle-aged prog fan called frank Pat really knows his Nintendo Entertainment System product and is equally capable with other game formats too. I can recommend his reviews on some of the rarer Nintendo titles such as Panic Restaurant and Flintstones The Surprise at Dinosaur Park. Now Pat the Nintendo Punk is such an avid collector of NES products that he actually owns two copies of the Nintendo World Championship cartridge, one of which was the uber-rare gold competition prize cart. Wow, right? Right? Now that's impressive. 
Yeah, it is impressive. Just believe me, okay? Jesus. Uh, next, the Game Chasers. Now, if you've watched Game Chasers, you will know that owning that Nintendo World Championship cart was kind of a big deal. It's a show that's slightly different from the others on this list in that it concentrates on the price of rare video games rather than the content of the games themselves. Jay and Billy tour flea markets, independent game stores, car boot sales and thrift stores hoping to find elusive $900 rare old video game cartridges for 50 cents amongst the old sandwich toasters and Hall and & Oates vinyls. Imagine it as sort of a bargain hunt, but for nerds and without the palpable fear that Operation U-Tree could be descending on the hosts or the antiques experts at any moment. Episode 9 that's just the way game chasing go is a good place to start with this channel as it features Billy's long term desire little Samson the thorn in his side that constantly eludes him he gets so close to buying it and then selfishly gives it away any subsequent episodes you see his rep at this decision Kimball Justice representing the UK comes this relative newcomer Kimball is a talented guy who is absolutely passionate about video games. His informative channel also covers a wide selection of other formats from Nintendo, Amiga, ZX Spectrum and recent independent PC titles in addition to some incredible multiple episode breakdowns of game series such as Shadow of the Beast, Sensible Soccer and a truly remarkable seven part dissection of Final Fantasy VII. Kimball has that rarest quality of YouTube presenters. Originality as well as finding reviews of his favourite WWE games, you can also expect to find well-argued videos on society issues such as gender representation in video games, or studies on how games struggle to depict the horrors of war. Kimball brings something a little bit different to the table, and that's highly commendable. If you want to give Kimball Justice a try, any of his 26 episode A to Z of licensed game videos are a slice of decent viewing. The Angry Video Game Nerd. No list like this can be possibly complete without mentioning the granddaddy of them all, James Rolfe, a.k.a. the Angry Video Game Nerd. Now in his tenth year as a character, AVGN is now the star of his own shoestring budget movie, due to be released on DVD in the UK at the end of this year. His videos are a masterclass of great sophomoric humour, good use of low-budget special effects, and supreme acting from Rolfe as the eponymous short-fused dweeb. If you haven't seen any Angry Video Game Nerd stuff, then I'm as stunned as a stoned piglet that you haven't, and I simply must demand you check out the episodes on Atari Porn, Plumbers Don't Wear Ties, and Bugs Bunny's Birthday Blowout forthwith. Step to it, Hotfoot. Game Sack. A favourite of both mine and Bula wants this. Joe and Dave are pretty honest about how wooden they can be on camera, and yeah, they're as stilted as moss. Despite this, they've got good on-screen chemistry with each other, and they constantly jibe each other on the respective side in that great Nintendo-Sega war that the rest of us have all forgotten from the early 90s. To some, the war never ended. The videos feature excellent editing, perhaps some of the best on YouTube, and these avid collectors of rarities will constantly surprise you with reviews of obscure 16-bit Japanese titles that other reviewers fear to touch. The pair are constantly charming and always informative. Worth a subscribe. If you'd like to try out an episode, give any of the Left in Japan or Arcade episodes a go, or their episode dedicated to the Sharp X68000. Episodes like this show these guys and their real strengths. Super Best Friends Play. Starting out in 2008 as a couple of funny Canadian guys playing Kirby's Epic Yarn on the Nintendo Wii, 
The team of two is now full strong. Matt, Pat, Woolley and Liam are the undisputed kings of the funny let's play concept. They produce two videos a day for their channel The Switcher and have recently put up a website that contains all of their content. The videos themselves range from edited half an hour plays of recent releases to full unedited multi-episode playthroughs of games such as Resident Evil 4 to themed months on subjects such as superheroes, Halloween or wrestling. What's the secret? They're just four funny guys who like to crack pop culture jokes, mock each other and laugh at bad game design. They're just funny nerd guys. It's that simple and yet it's that perfect. A good entry level episode for you to try out is Harry Potter Connect. Seriously, one of the funniest half hours you will have this week. And that's it. Please don't leave us. I'm letting you know about these people, but we love you more than them. Please, I'll grow a beard for you. Anyway, bye! So, that was Jay giving us uh, a little bit more of his ramblings. And now, it's time. Can you imagine it's time? Like I say, we've been here a year. It's a year, pretty much, since we appeared on iTunes and you guys started downloading us. And we really appreciate it. Um, we are now going to present the best of the Milking It podcast. Well, hello. Here we are. Uh, it's the first ever Milking It podcast. I'm David Davis, and I am joined by the man himself, Mr. Boulamont. Hello. The connect doesn't have to be connected all the time. It's not going to watch you while you sleep or masturbate. It's literally. Oh. <laughs> You're the only person in the UK who thinks that's a down point. <laughs> I had a Bill Gates tattoo on my cock, especially. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> there are upwards of thirty monasteries that claim to have the circumcised skin from Jesus's penis. Well, he's got to have a huge wang to have that much Precisely. voice. Precisely. He's got to be like a fucking hot air balloon. Hello. If you can hear me, then I'm probably dead. My name's Jay Hodgkin, and I'm trapped in an arcade called the Sticky Floor Fun Emporium. You know, just in my, that's my opinion. But anyway, sorry. Please continue. <laughs> no, no, no. You feel free to trample all over over professional sounding things you're trying to do. I remember crying my eyes out when Davy Boy pinned Brett. 92 at SummerSlam in in UK in Wembley tears of a 10 year old boy the first time I remember crying with happiness you don't fuck with a Scottish guy sorry for my Welsh accent there it's not that's nice yeah you're Pakistan Biggie Langston yes uh, Chuck Lesnar as a as a (laughs) you can't play that that's not a boo original that is a a, that on Twitter Biggie Langston went on Twitter and said, uh, you know, some of these nicknames are doing my head in. There's Black Goldberg or Blackberg and there's, yeah. there's this or the other. However, I do accept Chuck Lesnar because that is genuinely funny. That's a Biggie Langston saying that. I've got my original. Oh. Daniel Bryan's had just taken an onslaught from John Cena. We're talking attitude adjustments, the whole five moves of doom. Yeah. And he is unconscious to one pedigree. Triple H, all this time later, you're still at it. Stop holding the young and down. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's not all about the laughs, it's about the opinions, because that's what we're here for. It, it's just geek culture, ladies and gentlemen. So thank you, once again, thank you, Dino Peppers. Thank you very much, Jay Hodgkins. Thank you very much, John Sands, for the music, that doom, doom, that's all, John. I, I couldn't do that. I know how to do that. At the end of the day, he is a legend. And thank you very, very much, Boulamont. So, 
me and Boo we're back next week I hope you'll tune in an hour's worth of chit chat and hopefully a little bit more different than what we're doing now you've got a milk it and you know Right, Dave, I know you were looking for an animated introduction to this next segment. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so um, the conversation that we had uh, about He-Man kind of started me thinking uh, generally about sort of uh, the TV that I watched that influenced me when I was growing up. Because obviously for me, uh, it was He-Man. And then later, obviously, uh, as I got into my teens, it was Batman. Um, and now it's still Batman. Uh, <laughs> and after I received the comic book I did today, it's also still He-Man. Um, but, but there were other things, obviously, that came along. And those shows were presented on a Saturday morning. That was the tradition in the UK, um, especially during the time that I grew up. And Boo and I were not that far apart in terms of age. Uh, so we probably, I'm probably insulting him by saying that, but uh, we're probably going to remember sort of the same thing. So what I thought I'd do is a, a very quick sort of walk down memory lane. I say very quick. This could go for hours. Um, a very quick walk down memory lane. And then uh, Boo's got a big old list of cartoons that we're just going to have a bit of a chit chat about some of them that we remember and, 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 and point you in the right direction of things that you definitely need to see and definitely need to invo- avoid. Yeah, this could go on for a while, Dave. I, uh, I spent a lot of my youth watching Saturday morning uh, television, um, not just the cartoons. Obviously, you had the uh, the main programs that were on for kids on Saturday morning in the UK. So um, for any international fans, you might not uh, have heard of any of these, but you certainly would have heard of the cartoons that went with them. Completely. And, and uh, originally we'd spoken about the idea of doing a top five cartoons or this, that, like we've done with the other sort of top fives. I have never found a list harder to narrow down to five than my top five cartoons from my childhood, ignoring He-Man and Batman. I've done it. I don't know whether I agree with it, but we we might get to that later. It might be in in future weeks. However, all I'd say is anyone who's liked us on Twitter, that's at TeetTugger, anyone who's followed us on Facebook has forward slash milking it. Please get on board with this. We're going to start up uh, a little thing. I'm going to post it tomorrow is for you to put on there your list of the top five cartoons you remember from your youth. I'd love to have this discussion. Um, if they're good, we'll bring you on. If if they're bad, we'll discuss them and uh, and put you down. I'm joking. We won't put you down. No, to- totally. People get involved because we want to hear your top fives. We love. We'd love to talk about them. We'd love you to get involved because this is going to be an interesting discussion. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, completely. So, okay. So, for my childhood, I am taking the years, and again, this is going to age me. Um, 1982, when I would have been two till 1995 when i would have been 15 so for me once i got past 15 there was other stuff namely totty taking up my uh, <laughs> my saturday morning i wish as if, as if i was that kind of player uh, in 1995 i was probably still watching professional wrestling on vhs in a uh, shell suit in a <laughs> I, I didn't do shell suit. I did double denim though, which was oh, I, I think yeah, jeans, a, jean jacket, and jean shirt. Yeah, there was uh, not necessarily a jean shirt, but definitely a denim shirt over um, a very baggy t-shirt 
shirt involving probably something very 90s like a jelly baby or a smiley hyper- face was it global hypercolor it was because i if i sweat i want people to know about it <laughs> it changes color you're sweating out it suddenly becomes a brown t-shirt can play <laughs> The worst was global hypercolor jeans. I remember BHS selling those. I just thought, why would you want people to? Have, you got this yellow crotch and a blue jean. That's never a good look. All my a lot of my trousers back then had yellow crotches. So, <laughs> <laughs> so okay. <laughs> Saturday morning TV program. So, so the first one I'll mention. Uh, I don't know whether you remember. And uh, obviously, be all chip in with bits and pieces. Though, but this is kind of me leading him, <laughs> leading him down the primrose path. Um, is number 73. So number 73, I don't know whether Boo will ever even remember. It was, it, it ran from 1982 to 1988. Cause I, I've done a bit of research on this over the past few uh, days. Cause it, it, it just, it's one of those uh, sort of YouTube or Wikipedia rabbit hole moments where you end up just spending two or three hours looking at stuff. So number 73 was 82 to 88. Um, it was basically the idea of uh, it was just a house with different characters in it. Um, but the, the main people who were in there was or the people that stand out now looking back on it was uh, Neil Buchanan, as in Art Attacks. Neil Buchanan. It's an, it's an Art Attack. Completely. Uh, Sandy Toxvik. I remember. As in they, popular this- lesbian. Now, was there a very, a very bright red door on number 73? There certainly was, yes, with a big, would you believe, yellow 73. Very Hulkamania. Um, um, this will age me slightly, but um, I was born in 82, but I do distinct... I, I've got a memory of Sandy Topvik in, in a house with a red door. So, you know... She, she was there till 88, so you know, that, that would make sense that maybe you didn't catch the, the, the final episodes of, of that particular show. What I would say is one of the other people who was in that particular show, relevant now, was Andrea Arnold, who is, she was there as a skitty presenter of a kids TV show, number 73. She's now gone on to win Oscars for directing the brilliant Red Road fish tank. And of course, she was the director of Wuthering Heights, the latest adaptation, which got amazing critical reviews, BAFTA nom- nominations and everything else absolutely amazing that she was even involved at that stage in something like number 73 but that it it kind of set the formula it followed on from tis was and Saturday superstore and that kind of thing which i never even knew about obviously because i was far too young but that that was my first memory the reason i remember it was because um it, as i was growing up obviously transformers was a big deal uh, and the a huge deal, Dave. Yeah, well, maybe for you. It was, it was a, a big massive deal. Transform- it was a big deal for me. I love Transformers. Okay, well, number seventy-three didn't have the Transformers. It had the GoBots. Ooh, not not a pale imitation for the Transformers, unfortunately. Absolutely, unfortunately, that that was the. Uh, well, we'll get to a a, a, a relevant uh, comparison later on that uh, that comes up. But uh, yeah, so the GoBots ended up on seventy three, and uh, Transformers was unfortunately not involved. And that's that, but that's the reason I remember it. So 
number 73 ended um, or it came to an end after quite a long run especially when you compare it to some of the stuff that comes up a little later on when we're talking about this so they they went through eight series between then so it was yeah 82 to 88 so they did they did eight series and then it came to an end they decided that no we're not going to do that it it doesn't make sense Um, we're going to change it up and do something completely different and then they went to the idea of um, doing seasons for the shows on a Saturday morning so you'd get sort of uh, three or four months of this show and then three or four months of the next show and they'd sort of alternate between them so it kept it interesting and everything else but it was still that idea of stupid comedy skits uh, silly competitions that whole wackaday idea of um, well we're going to do yeah these ridiculous things uh, but we're going to give away prizes and you know which were always rubbish they were always board games weren't they, at the end of the day um, but then we'll also uh, then switch it up and we'll have these cartoons, which is that's going to be the main draw. And then they just sort of built this rubbish around it, which looking back on it was rubbish. But then at the time actually seemed quite good, which is why when that moved, the main one I remember growing up was uh, a TV show, which actually didn't last that long. I don't know whether you remember it, but it was called Get Fresh. Not only do I remember Get Fresh, Dave, but I've got written down here from my memories uh gilbert the alien yes absolutely uh, voiced by phil cornwell who is uh, still doing stuff he was in stellar street if anyone ever watched stellar street again in a future episodes i'm sure we'll do our favorite comedy series that didn't do too well uh, but stellar street was one of them phil cornwell did that but he's also in the alan partridge movie he did all the alan partridge series he was the uh, rival dj uh, on <laughs> radio norfolk and, and then digital um phil cornwell amazing as gilbert the alien i also remember uh, patiently waiting each week to catch the latest episode of the centurions cartoon mm. power extreme my friend power extreme. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, i'm sure um oh, let me get this right Get Fresh had a Sunday morning show. I think it was one of the first ones that they did Saturday and Sunday. So they did a pre-recorded Sunday show, um, which had, if I'm not, Teddy Ruxpin. Um, I'm sure Get Fresh for me was the Gummy Bears, because I remember that sort of time the Gummy Bears, gummy were, bears. were really big. So Yeah, so Teddy Ruxpin, Gummy Bears probably not the first time i've had a sunday morning with like heavy influence of bears in my life but um as as far as i remember that was the first sort of time they did that that idea of doing a separate show and everything else but it was it was a live show on a saturday it was that sort of uh, that weird thing of gilbert the alien if no one if you don't remember gilbert the alien he was a he was a a, a character designed by uh, I, I, he has to have been designed by the spitting image guys because he had that look um but he had snot that just dribbled constantly down his face i remember there was a c64 game out of him that i was not allowed to buy because my parents hated the idea of gilbert the alien he was green he had a mohawk he had these big sticky out ears and he was he was just repulsive and just he meant to be almost like an alien like caricature of a punk 
Yeah, pretty much. He was that kind of outsider thing because uh, Gaz Top was the presenter. Uh, Gary Jones, who, who later went on to do um, How To. How To. That, yeah. <laughs> and um, and I'm sure he still does stuff now, but uh, it, I, I'll always know him as Gaz Top. But yeah, for me, Get Fresh, considering it only ran for two years, is probably the most influential thing that I, I remember watching in terms of a, a Saturday morning TV show. But but that was followed that was fo- <laughs> followed by the show that we, yes, of course, we've mentioned yet again uh, on this, this podcast, which was Ghost Train. I remember. Mm. With Nobby the Sheep. Ooh, ah. Completely. The, so the, the concept, because uh, I didn't even know what the concept was. I was, I was just, I remember Ghost Train as this weird program that was on in the mornings, and I, we'll get to this in a second. But the real Ghostbusters was was on. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. So the, the whole concept was there was this girl who had inter- inherited a Ghost Train from a from a uncle or something, and then. Her mates are trying to escape with her because there's this character called Barry Mafia and just rubbish, absolute rubbish. We're we're up there with why don't you levels of rubbish acting and just drama school shite. Nobby the Sheep was the character that kept you watching. I, I believe he had a spin-off. I believe he also ended up hosting uh, CITV at some point. Say again, sorry. Hey, eh? you're right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought you said something. No, no. Okay, sorry. sorry. <laughs> Where were we? Nobby the sheep, and he en- ended on CITV. I, I'm sure he presented CITV at some point, and uh, I can't remember for the life of me. And I, I, I should have YouTube this. Was he Scouse or was he Welsh? Oh, no, I don't remember. I don't I'm. Remember. I'm was Welsh, possibly, but he had a he had a leather jacket, uh, a Mohican, and oh for fuck's sake, he looked bloody brilliant. <laughs> so Nobby the Sheep was the reason to watch. He, he was funny. I remember him being a little bit strange and, uh, and and kooky and everything else. And again, they did that thing of doing the Saturday morning thing and the Sunday morning thing. So the Sunday morning show was Ghost Train on Sunday, and then they did that uh, from sort of nineteen ninety onwards and. And that was the show that they did the, the pre-recorded competitions on and everything else. And Sandy Toxvik obviously came on, not obviously, but she was on there now and again. And she was the biggest thing in terms of what I remember her doing was doing Ghost Train. However, the biggest reason I remember Ghost Train was one of my top five that I did come up with uh, cartoons of my childhood that wasn't He-Man or Batman, and that was the real Ghostbusters. Totally. Um, I used to love the Ghostbusters animated series. Um, I was lucky enough, lo- uh, well, not last year, it was a couple of years ago, was it the uh, 20th anniversary or 25th anniversary, um, they released a Blu-ray and uh, at the same time, they released the animated series on DVD for the first time in its entirety. Uh, I managed to grab a copy of the animated series on DVD and relive the uh, the uh, cartoon through my youth, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. 
Completely. I mean, for me, and I know I don't think we'd have this discussion, but for me, the Ghostbusters is probably the most important film for me growing up. And the real Ghostbusters, although it, it was a slightly skewed version of that film, I'd, I'd watched the cartoon before I saw the film. So uh, it was just... It was just one <laughs> like if you look at uh, if you look back at it now, it's probably not the greatest cartoon ever. No, you know it's not held up too badly. I do have a couple of interesting factoids about the real Ghostbusters day. Only a couple of little interesting things. Um, the voice of Winston Zedmore was actually played by Arsenio Hall, who was obviously with uh, mm. in uh, Coming to America with Eddie Murphy, and he was obviously famous for having his own chat show in America at one point. Yeah, yeah. And um, just a weird little geek paradox. I, uh, I, I figured um, the voice of Peter Venkman, who in the film was played by Bill Murray, was done by the gentleman who voiced Garfield. Garfield. Yes. Then in the live action Garfield movie, who should play, uh, who should be voicing Garfield and taking this guy's job? But good old Bill Murray. So a bit of a geek paradox there for you, uh, for the real Ghostbusters. Very strange. But again, it was a filmation cartoon, so it was the same guys who had done... Um, he-Man, and they, they were very used to doing that sort of uh, that big budget. Um, well, not even big budget, but in terms of like, right, we've got toys out, we've got bed sheets out, we've got. I remember my brother having a, a single bed cover of this massive uh, real Ghostbusters uh, picture, which was the, the sort of guys in Ecto One, Slimer behind them, stay puffed above some massive building, or all coming down. I remember that being really cool at the time. But uh, as far as I remember, it wasn't really tied to the film too much. It was it, they'd let them do their own thing. There was a, a spin-off Marvel comic, which I still have many, many. Uh, I actually still have an annual of that. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> I just remember. Uh, yeah. The. Uh, <laughs> I remember that every week they used to have like a, a Slimer cartoon on the I back was about page. To mention, I was about to mention this. It was towards the end actually. Mm. They would have um, these individual Slimer things, and it actually spun off into its own series, which was like Slimer and Friends. Yes. Yeah. But there, there was also like every time they'd have the Tobin Spirit Guide, like individual pages of. A particular uh, character, Tobin Spirit Guide, is is mentioned in the first film very, very briefly by Egon um, as a, a sort of reference guide. Yeah, that conversation kind of ends there, even though it's a best of. I've decided to include it because I thought it was quite interesting. Um, some technical issues with that particular conversation, and I can't find the rest of it. If, Milksters, you know what episode it was on, because I'm going through them and I can't find it. Uh, please let me know. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, enjoy this chit-chat about the old rustling. I realised, out of the blue, that it is 20 years since I started watching wrestling on the full-time in terms of having Sky TV. Exciting, 20 years ago, um, to have Sky TV. Um, and so I've been watching wrestling for 20 years uh, on the regular, as they say, uh, in terms of pay-per-views. So the first one I would have watched, um, in fact, taped, as we were talking about VHS earlier on, uh, was probably SummerSlam 93. WrestleMania um, 5 for me. All right, whatever. WrestleMania 5. That was good. Hardcore. No, 
was, um, it was a memory. But one, the one I really remember watching again and again and again and having on VHS and uh, on long play, so I could fit a couple of uh, events on the tape, <clears throat> um, was Survivor Series 1993. And we're approaching Survivor Series this year, which looks like it's going to be a pile of shit. But um, it, it started me thinking about the Survivor Series and the old sort of team of five, strides of five and that kind of stuff. So uh, for me, the first ever wrestling event I saw was the second Survivor Series, which was lent to me uh, by a friend on VHS. Um, but the, the one I remember most of all is Survivor Series 1993. For many people, it's one of the worst events ever. For me, it is a little bit of wrestling gold and a little pathway to my past. So... Um, I sent Boo a link because it's, it's available on YouTube. It's a link that I'll put up on our, our uh, Facebook forward slash milking it site. Uh, so you could all enjoy the delights of the Survivor Series 1993. So Boo, have you watched the Survivor Series 1993? I, I, I enjoyed myself greatly, Dave. I, um, I watched the whole thing. I don't know whether, um, just on a side note, um, <laughs> I was uh, watching Jim Cornette's interview, mm. um, just before the, the main. And um, I swear to God that he says fucking. Just he <laughs> says it really quickly. It's <laughs> he literally the first thing he says is, "You don't know what any of those um, you don't know any of those words. You read them in a fucking book." To to uh, I can't remember who was interviewing him. Was it Todd Pengel? <laughs> but um, probably probably wrong. But but yeah, no. Um, really enjoyed it. Real trip down memory lane, and um, I I must admit I. When you sent it, I was like, "Oh man, it's going to be a bit of a chore," but I um I actually got through it and I I really enjoyed it. Absolutely, and okay, so we'll have a quick flick through the matches that were there, and uh, we'll sort of talk about the characters that were involved and everything else. So what you've got to remember is um, 1993, especially this time in 1993 for wrestling, it, it kind of. Uh, gone down in popularity a little bit i think it's safe to say 92 was the most popular sort of time in in the uk especially because obviously SummerSlam 92 um held at wembley and they, they drew eighty thousand people by this point in 93 it kind of it was a little bit passe to be a wrestling fan wasn't it um yeah <laughs> excuse my voice that's fine yeah that was like coming to the end, like it, it was a, a as we've said before in the UK when uh, wrestling first came over with Sky, yeah. it became like a fad, oh. um, like like the turtles, like He Man, you know the, the kids have these fads. So you know, for me, my the beginning of my wrestling fandom was very was was as a child being involved in this fad. But yeah, by 1993, the fad had kind of died off a bit. Because you had your big SummerSlam 92, which was like the peak of its popularity in the UK in the early 90s. I mean, that was like the payoff. Um, so, and after that, it kind of petered out in popularity in the UK. So, yeah, completely. Yeah. And, and, and so, in terms of like star power, it was probably one of the weaker times because obviously Hogan um, had left. Hogan came back into it for the WrestleMania that year, WrestleMania nine, and um, and then he kind of he did the King of the Ring and then left, defeated by Yokozuna at the King of the Ring, and then he he, he walked out. And there were various stories about where he was going, and obviously ended up in WCW. But so Hogan was the man still in that term in, in terms of people knowing that the name. Ultimate Warrior wasn't involved anymore. 
he'd left um, after SummerSlam 92. Uh, Savage was involved, and obviously we'll talk about that in a second, but uh, there, there weren't those big-name characters from the 80s, early 90s. Ric Flair had disappeared again. You were at a point where it was a new generation, to coin a phrase, of uh, of stars and and still some some old ones but let's have a little bit of a chit chat about the matches that were, were involved and, and and why i love it so so uh the first match uh they they went away from the five on five for this year it was a four on four survivor series elimination matches however it still meant that you got sort of half hour matches for each one which nowadays would seem completely ridiculous to have a half hour match on a pay-per-view but at the time it worked really well and it was that sort of way of showcasing a number of stars so the first match that came up it was uh irs who was uh <laughs> is still working for the company i believe mike rotundo um uh, diesel obviously uh, later known as kevin nash rick martell the model and adam bomb Accompanied to the ring with Harvey Whippleman um, against Marty Gennetti, Razor Ramon, the one, two, three kid. And it was supposed to be Mr. Perfect. Uh, as far as I understand, uh, Perfect was claiming on a insurance thing with Lloyd's of London. Um, so he decided not to continue wrestling and left the company so he could claim on the Lloyds of London insurance policy. Um, and he was replaced by everyone's favourite commentator at the time, the macho man, Randy Savage. Yeah. So, yeah, Savage was involved <clears throat> in um, a storyline feud with Crush, who had suddenly decided that even though he was from Hawaii, he was going to side with Mr. Fuji <laughs> and <laughs> be a, well, what would become a, a foreign fanatic in the main event. So apparently uh, at, at this point in the, the uh, evolution of WWE, uh, if you're from a state of uh, the United States of America, you could still be uh, claimed to be a foreign fanatic. But um, yeah, so storyline purposes, Randy Savage tagged himself into that match. And overall, a great match and a, a, just a really good showcase of some, I, I want to say high flyers, but it, they were in terms of it, that, that time. Marty Gennetti, one, two, three kid, even Rick Martel with his cartwheels, um, a really good match. What do you think? Well, I mean, Dave, this was the mid card. This was all the mid carders at the time. Ooh. Like, um, some of the main mid carders, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it, Ramon was, Razor Ramon, of course, was the star of the match. Yeah. Um, he, he cut the promo against Perfect when he introduced, um, Macho, you know, uh, saying that Mr. Perfect's <laughs> not so perfect. Such a perfect so, partner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, yes, um, Sean Walkman, you know, young kid when he got in there, did his, did his high flying bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Nash, of course. So you had like all the mid carders at the time. And yeah, there were some enjoyable exchanges in the match. Um, and of course, uh, you know, the heel side had a bit of a Barney amongst themselves as it does. And Whippleman took a nice punch and, um, yeah, not a bad match. And then you've got the, uh, the ongoing storyline with Macho and Crush during the match. Um, yeah. Did, did they both get counted out? I, I can't remember. Well, yeah, Savage got counted out because Crush came down the aisle and was, was held back by several five foot tall people. Um, yes, yeah, absolutely. And it was just one of those things where, you know, at, at the time, not really knowing about the business and not knowing the sort of back, backstory bollocks, as Jay would say. Um, 
it was just nice to see those characters in the same match. It was interesting to see the Adam Bomb, Rick Martel thing. And, you know, for me, just a great opening match. And it kind of sowed the seed for the Diesel Razors thing, which was carrying on across the year. And, you know, it's nice to have the one, two, three kid, Martin Genetti there. And it's amazing now, looking back on it, how modern um Sean Maltman's wrestling style is it would it would mm. definitely still fit in today you could you could see him wrestling in in a match on raw any week <coughs> so match number 2 was um a, a, an interesting one and it was a, a difficult one for fans in the UK because we never really had it explained as to why it changed like it did it was originally supposed to be it was part of the feud between Bret Hart and Jerry Lawler uh, so Jerry Lawler had, had come into the WWE and he was paired off against Bret Hart, who had won the King of the Ring. Um, so Jerry Lawler was uh, basically against the idea that Bret Hart was the king because Jerry's the king. So <laughs> how to put this in a podcast friendly way? Um, Jerry Lawler was suspended. Um, he was supposed <clears throat> to be going into a match with the Hart family. He'd been insulting the Hearts all the way through. Um, and then he got suspended on allegations of rape. Allegations which were proved to be completely false, everything else. Not just rape, rape of a minor. So it was quite a serious, if not a very serious allegation that was made. I won't, I won't, I won't quote the famous promo, but, um, (laughs) yeah, um, Jerry Lawler got into some trouble. So they replaced him with, um, somebody who had history with Brett to begin with anyway. So they got Shawn Michaels in. Completely. Who, who was, turning up after a drug suspension so this was his first match back on tv with the intercontinental championship which we as far as we were concerned by that point was round the uh right that was razor's belt but yeah sure michael still was carrying it at this time so sure michael's dropped into this match at the last minute, no one really understood what was going on uh, and the reason he was there. Uh, but he was there with his knights. So he <laughs> he had the, these three guys under hoods. They never never hinted as to who they were. Um, as far as I know, and I'm I'm I need to bring this up. Actually, I should be reading this. But as far as I know, so the knights were Barry Horowitz, um, Greg Valentine. And the USWA wrestler Jeff Gaylord, who has the best name in wrestling <clears throat> ever. And, of course, Bobby Heenan knew who, who was under the mask. Yes, and was hinting all the way through. And it was a, it was a wonderful moment. And it was the, the line that uh, Bobby Heenan delivered, which stands, to me, stands with me to this day. Uh, was Vince McMahon says there's, the, there's over 20 members of the Hart family in attendance. Bobby Heenan says... That's the smell. <laughs> Absolutely legendary. <laughs> but yeah, so all in all, it was an okay match. It, it sowed the seed for the Bret Hart Owen Hart feud that was going to start to lead up to WrestleMania uh, 10. Um, if you listen to Bruce Hart since, and obviously Owen Hart tragically died, but Bruce Hart claims that he was going to be the one to feud with Bret Hart, and then Vince changed his mind at the last minute. I don't believe that for one second. I think it was always going to be the Bret Hart-Owen Hart feud. 
Um, overall, Shawn Michaels sells his ass off. It's a interesting match in terms of uh, the interaction between the knights is okay and they just get eliminated quite quickly. Owen Hart gets eliminated. He's the only one from the, the Hart family to get eliminated, Stu Hart on the outside. But I, I don't know. What, what did you think about that match, man? Um, yeah, Shawn Michaels sold his ass off. He took a punch from um, Stu on the outside and mm. he sold it like he'd been killed. But yeah, it's just just a weird match um, because, yeah, it kind of came out of left field because, like, it had nothing to do with the storyline that, that led up to it. Like, nothing. Like, Completely. And that was the thing is that it was just so geared to, around Jerry Lawler and obviously it was understandable why Jerry Lawler wasn't on that particular uh, particular event but it was just completely just completely um sort of blew your mind when you were watching it live you just thought oh okay well why is Shawn michael suddenly involved in these you know all these guys um match number three was uh, a smoky mountain wrestling match which at, at the time again didn't make much sense to uk viewers because we weren't really aware of smoky mountain wrestling but for me was one of the best matches on the card it was the heavenly bodies jimmy del rey and tom pritchard um going against the rock and roll express uh because i wasn't a wcw or slash nwa fan um, i wasn't really aware of the rock and roll express i wasn't really aware of jim Cornette and the heavenly bodies i remember the raw where jim Cornette turned up and introduced them and it was like a, oh my god they're mentioning another wrestling federation because that was the sort of done thing at the time they never ever spoke about anyone else it was just wwe so wwf at the time but overall, a really good match. Not quite as good as the Heavenly Bodies versus the Steiners from SummerSlam, but still a, a really interesting match. Um, yeah, the, the Smoky Mountain Wrestling match was um, it was like an old school match, and they even they've obviously got different rules in Smoky Mountain Wrestling compared to WWE, and they did a little yeah. gimmick where um, you don't obviously in Smoky Mountain you don't if you throw someone over the top rope it's a disqualification. Yes. And they actually involved that in the match, which I thought was quite a nice touch because um, in WWF, the rules are different. It's also worth mentioning that, that for that match, um, Bobby Heaton and Vince McMahon tagged out. They were commentating on the event. But the, the for that match itself, they brought in Jim Ross and Gorilla Monsoon, who for the whole event were doing something on WWE radio, which is a thing they did for the troops and, and everything else. But uh, I think because it had that NWA sort of feel, that's why they thought, right, okay, we need to bring in Jim Ross because he can actually call these moves rather than just going, what a maneuver. Dave, Dave, sorry to cut in. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't the Heavenly Bodies the Steiners wrestled at SummerSlam. It was the Beverly Brothers. What, the SummerSlam before this? Was it not? I thought it was... <laughs> is I, is I, this I, another I live Bula Mask Balls up? No, no, I think this is... A, I think this is... A, I thought this is a Dave Balls up. When you said the heaven, you mean when you say the heavenly bodies wrestled the Steiners at SummerSlam, mm-hmm. do you not mean the Beverly Brothers? No, the Beverly Brothers wrestled the Steiners at the Royal Rumble, um, but the heavenly bodies faced <laughs> faced the Steiners at SummerSlam, one hundred percent. Okay, no, no, I'm just <laughs> because I remember um, the Beverly Brothers match distinctively because. The finish, the, the finish, yeah. The finish with the Frankensteiner where he just spikes him straight onto his head. 
A hundred percent. That's the Royal Rumble. No, no, no. I, 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 I trust in your knowledge <laughs> of wrestling. But... So the uh, the next match was uh, what can loosely be called a comedy match if you're into this kind of thing. Um, it was the Head Shrinkers, Bastion Booger, who was again one of my favourite characters at the time, even though I think he's massively underappreciated. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, who was accompanied by the wonderful Luna Vachon, um against the four doinks. So it was Bam Bam Bigelow at this time was feuding with Doink the Clown. Um, so the four doinks turned out to be the Bushwhackers, everyone's favourite uh, Antipodean tag team, uh, and men on a mission, Mabel and Moe, <laughs> with Oscar, let's not forget him, um, all dressed as doinks. Yeah. Without a doubt, uh, one of the worst matches of all time. However, at the time, probably raised a smile from me. <laughs> Dave, I think it's about time to mention um, this. This is what we in, in the business and what's popularly known as Wrestle Crap. Now, if you're not aware of Wrestle Crap, it's a, a great website that for years has been um, finding the very best of the worst professional wrestling. Totally. Uh, so com, check that out. Um, but this is a, literally a perfect example of wrestle crap. It's so bad that it's good. I mean, some of the stuff they did in the match where uh, one of the head shrinkers ate a banana and then he throws the skin down. Yep. And then you just like, he has to pretend to slip on the banana skin <laughs> in good old fashioned. Oh, and oh, what was the other one? Um, he, he, oh, they, that's it. They give him a balloon to burst. Yeah. So he, he bites, bites a balloon, it's fine, and it bites a balloon, it's fine, and then bites the third balloon, and it's filled with water. <laughs> Which makes him vulnerable to the three count. Because <laughs> as we know, if someone fl- splashes water in your face, you're down for the count. <laughs> so, <laughs> honestly, um, yeah, like we say, <laughs> worth watching uh, just for the fact it is so bad. Um <laughs> Which then led on to the main event of the evening, because uh, this was a, a very rare one. Where, Like I say, they were sort of half-hour uh, events, uh, half-hour matches, rather. But um, it was the All-Americans. So Lex Luger, uh, just finishing being the narcissist and uh, now becoming the All-American Lex Luger, hot off the Lex Express tour that he'd uh, been doing around the country, um, with The Undertaker, everyone's favourite man, who was standing in for Tatonka, I believe, who was uh, taken out of the match by the evil Ludwig Borger. Um, so it was Lex Luger, The Undertaker and the Steiner brothers. So they were against the foreign fanatics, as we discussed previously, um, Crush from Hawaii, um, Yokozuna, who was from San Francisco, uh, Ludwig Borger, who was genuinely uh, from Finland, yep. and uh, one of the Quebecers, Jacques Rougeau, or the Mountie, as he was known. So um, they were accompanied to the ring by uh, Jim Cornette, Johnny Polo, uh, later to be Raven, and the always popular Mr. Fuji. Um, as main events go, looking back on it now, you watch it again. It's not a brilliant match, but at the time, I yeah, I was into it. I, I absolutely enjoyed it. And for me, as, as I've said before, Yokozuna can do no wrong. I was a big, big Yokozuna fan. I still think, looking back at it now, the the way the guy moved, the things he could do in the ring was unbelievable. Um, and the fact they put him in the new game, when you play as him, he's one of those characters you want to be in a computer game because he just crushes it. No, I'd be interested in playing as Yokozuna. Um, not, but I, I didn't, I, I thought this was one of the weaker matches on an already bad, <laughs> enjoyable <laughs> card. Um, 
kind of it ended out with uh, Ludwig Borger and um, Lex Luger, and yeah. you know they yeah. were uh, Luger was still getting his big face push. I would, I just never really was a fan of Lex Luger. I could never get behind it. I found it a bit cheesy, and as I said, it was towards it was tra- like the popularity was trailing anyway. Um, when Lex was was um, was in as the All American after slamming Yokozuna on that um, on the battleship, mm, the Intrepid, yeah, <clears throat> the Intrepid, but yeah, and yeah, not 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 a lot of nothing majorly memorable for me in this match other than the end um, with um, Lex and Ludwig Borger, and they really were pushing for Bo- um, for Ludwig, weren't they? Yes, completely. They, they genuinely thought he was going to be like this this big thing, and uh, I think he he got injured. Oh, let me get this right. He got injured before the Royal Rumble. He was going to be like this big heel and everything else. And uh, Tony Harm uh, was his real name. Um, he did a little bit in WCW, I think, at uh, a later date. He then put on a lot of weight and got into politics. Um, but he was, uh, dare we say, he was very. Uh, right wing and um i i believe quite homophobic and slightly anti-semitic so did he not have an ss tattoo he did yeah he had an ss tattoo and i believe he had a tattoo above his anus that said no entry so (laughs) god bless ludwig burger and his crazy anti-american ways um, and thus concludes our review. He, of... he, he, he is dead, Dave. Don't worry. Oh, it's fine. Yeah, fuck it. Um, so, yeah, so all in all, um, I think uh, nostalgia wise, it, it was really nice watching it again the other day. And I, I will put the, the link up on the, the Milking It uh, Facebook page. But <laughs> watch it for the first match. The opening match is a good example of mid-card wrestling in that era. And some characters who would later go on to do some massive things in terms of Razor Ramon and Diesel. Um, everything else, take with a pinch of salt. The, the four doinks, like you say, is total wrestle crap. The main event, not so good, but is made wonderful in terms of watching Jim Cornette work because for me, he's one of the greatest managers of all time. Um, yes. So that was my review or our review even of uh, my first big wrestling event that I watched 20 years ago, the Survivor Series 1993. So that was episode 32. Can you imagine episode 32, a best of and a bit of geek news at the beginning. Absolutely wonderful. Um, Thank you, as always, John Sands for his music. Thank you, Dino, for his artwork. Thank you to Jay for his drop-ins. Thank you to Bully Lamont for everything that he brings to the table. Yes, you, Boo. Oh, you. Thank you, as always, to the listeners for listening to us. And we've been here a year, and yet you're still here. I cannot imagine why. But, uh, as always, thank you. I've been David Davies. And I've been Boo Lamont. And uh, thank you for joining us in a tango across the timeline of milking its space. So join us next time for a little bit more of the same. It's geeky goodness all round at the Milking It podcast. Peace out, y'all. You got the feeling that you're milking it. You got the honey for the boys. You want to milk it, you know. You got to milk it and you know. Uh, yeah. Someone put cheese in my chocolate twist. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. Yo, yo, yo. Come on, step outside, sir.
<laughs> Jesus Christ, I think your pig needs emptying. <laughs> wow, that was a that was a really easy going episode. I liked it. <laughs>